Cells. Cells. Have you ever been in an institution? Cells. Cells. Do they keep you in a cell? Cells. Cells. When you're not performing your duties, do they keep you in a little box? Cells. Cells. Interlinked. Interlinked. What's it like to hold the hand of someone you love? Interlinked. Interlinked. Do they teach you how to feel finger to finger? Interlinked. You're listening to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. Welcome to Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast. I am your host, Jamie Prater, and I'm joined by my co-host, Patrick Green. How are you doing? I'm great. Uh, I'm great wanna- mood. I want to thank both of you for putting up with me needing to, uh, you know, not miss the first time around. We had some audio issues. The two of you have already recorded this episode once. Yes. <laughs> and now I have this opportunity to jump back in, uh, which I'm really excited about. But the reason why I'm slightly cranky is our air conditioning is broken. But I'm going to, you know, I'm here. I'm excited to talk to Ricardo again. We're going to have a good time. And I guess we can go ahead and say welcome back to uh, Shoulder of Orion. Yes. Welcome our special contributing host today ricardo silvestre thank you for coming back on the show and re-recording this thank you so much guys for having me back the last time i was here was to talk about my girlfriend love (laughs) and you probably remember this jamie either she was a a victim of bullying or she was this stone cold killer and i definitely went to the second one (laughs) that's true that's true this episode today is a pushback on some anatomy of the scenes that Patrick and I have recorded over the last several months. They've been some episodes that we've really enjoyed. They they're different for us. They're a fresh take on very familiar material as we kind of move forward and await the Blade Runner 2099 series. We have a lot more in store in terms of an anatomy of the scene. It's actually thinking today, if by chance, say you forgot, Ricardo, I was like, what could we talk about today? And I thought, oh, the Staline scene would be a great anatomy of the scene at some point. Um, So with that being said, again, thank you, Ricardo, for coming on the show. Thank you, everyone, for listening and our patrons. Uh, We know it's been a bit kind of all over the place in terms of our release schedule. We should be back on schedule as of this release today. So you'll get it every two weeks. Thank you for being patient with us. And uh, let me start with a little bit of a throat clearing and say that it's a privilege to be back, but also to thank you guys publicly for the amazing work you do. Uh, You give us this entry point to the Blade Runner universe is always so cool to come back. So thank you guys for that. Of course, Ricardo. Thank you so much. And thank you for coming back on the show too. And also just thank you, just echoing what Jamie said to everybody for being patient, uh, especially like this is now coming out a little bit late too. Just, Just thank you very much for your flexibility. Um, and we hope you're having a wonderful start to your summer or your winter, depending on which hemisphere you're listening to this from. And I guess kind of to get rolling a little bit, um, why don't you just kind of set the scene, Jamie, a little bit so we can revisit this conversation that I missed out on the first time around. Yeah. So essentially, Ricardo is here to push back on some of our opinions and hot takes on certain scenes, certain episodes that we've done on certain scenes. So I'm going to open it up right away to you, Ricardo, and just get your general feedback and then we can jump into it very good and and thank you again for giving me the opportunity to revisit a conversation that you both of you by your own admission i think it's exhausting and boring and i imagine some of our listeners agree with that but 
I came to push back on the fact that those two uh, anatomy of the scenes, you guys assumed that Deckard was a replicant, or you, at least you said that the, the it was there were like glimmers of that. And I want to express a point of view that I seldom heard on your podcast and in a larger conversation, and that is that Deckard being a replicant makes no sense in the movies. And in fact, it makes them worse because of the effort needed to accept that premise. So uh, allow me just to make two quick points to explain why I think that. One is external to the movie, and I'm, I'm going to get into that right away. And then the other one is internal, and it goes to the scenes that we're going to analyze. The external one, and you guys say this so many times, and I couldn't agree more, that Blade Runner is a very structural movie for all of us. Um, I saw Blade Runner 2019 more times than I can remember. I saw that the movie very early in my life. And I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that I have some Deckard in me. So as I'm growing up, Deckard was always a reference to me and it helped me make the person that I am today. And that is the way of, I think, the way I see myself in the world. Therefore, the truth of the character and his actions are important to understand for me. It's important, a pursuit of truth, something that I said to Jamie offline many times. So why I'm why I'm so bothered by this more than you guys, which is live and let live, meaning that everybody is open to their own opinions and it's fine. It's just, an, we just have to appreciate the movie. This actually pisses me off because Ridley Scott messing with the original movie with a completely unnecessary and stupid decision of trying to force Decker to be a replicant. And I think this came because he wanted to be a dick. He wanted to be the smartest guy in the room. I imagine that he got pissed off that everyone around him kept telling him that Deckard was a human. So he shoot a horn, this totally pointless and ridiculous unicorn scene in the director's cut. And then I understand where you guys come from, which is the ambiguity, the lack of certitude, the what if. And actually, Patrick, you have this tremendous sentence, which is, please let me stay on my rainy smoke filled streets. But I would agree with that if that was the original movie, meaning the original 2019 had the unicorn scene, then I could be a little more open to interpretations. In fact, what Ridley Scott does in a director cuts, he tries to force that Deckard is a replicant by reconstructing the movie with the unicorn scene. And actually, I think it's insulting for people like me because I don't need to be jerked around and made feel like I'm an idiot that needs to have everything explained to him. And here's some unicorn shit shoved at you so that you finally accept that Deckard is a replicant. And because, and this is my last point before I throw it to you guys, because a part of Deckard's character arc motivations, redemption, and this is a traditional argument. Deckard being a replicant makes no sense on the movie and actually ruins what it is, the narrative of the movie. Uh, in it, and actually, in any version, the three of them, we can go into specific examples. I have like a short list of them, but the two of them had to do with uh, the Bryant scene and then the Tyrell scene. But I would like to throw it to you guys. What do you think about this position of mine? Do you think also that this is excessive? Again, I'm, I'm just trying to be polemic. What will be your take on this starting point for me? Well, I, I think um, it's hard to approach this in a non-polemic way because it's something that people feel very strongly about, which honestly is why we held off on doing a Decorep episode for so long. 
it's interesting to note that there's nobody that I've spoken with who is passionately pro Deckard being a replicant, but people who are against Deckard being a, re a replicant are <laughs> unanimously passionate about it, which I think is kind of interesting. And I want to unpack some of the reasons why and ask you some questions about that. Um, but before we do, I agree with you that Ridley is imposing his will ex post facto on Blade Runner. And that is that is 100% a truth. I think what we do with that information is largely dependent on a few things. One of them is which cut of the film we decide is the definitive edition of it, right? Because we have this borderline unique moment, you know, in, in terms of film history, where we really can choose one of many different ways of watching the movie, depending on if you want the work print, the director's cut, the final cut, the theatrical cut, etc. So depending on which version of the film, you get clear or non-clear indications that Deckard is or isn't a replicant, right? Um, I think, speaking personally for a moment, the, I fell in love with Blade Runner when the final cut came out. That was really when I went from just thinking it was a really, you know, beautiful movie to think considering a part of my identity as a as a person. And so the way that Deckard is presented in the final cut, to me, is kind of the definitive version of Deckard. That being said, my definitive version of Deckard is not a replicant. And I think that's what's kind of interesting here, because when I watch the final cut, I see more than just what Ridley is kind of presenting to us. Like I'm watching it with my perspective of this is all in the service of increasing the ambiguity, right? Because the people who created the film, and I mean that not even just with Ridley Scott, but with David Peoples and Hampton Fancher and Harrison Ford himself, basically all disagreed <laughs> about this idea. And what that leaves us with is a movie that really is made to be more than one interpretation, I think, at the same time. So kind of rewinding for a moment, I think if had I fallen in love with the theatrical cut of the film, had that been the one that I considered my seminal Blade Runner experience, I think I would feel much more strongly that entertaining the notion that Deckard is a replicant is not only futile, but borderline disrespectful to the character, if not borderline actually disrespectful to the character. But because I fell in love with the film in its most uh, you know, entropy-laden state, I think I kind of feel like I love that you can watch it again, borrowing from Christian Matska, who I've used this phrase now 45 times in the last three episodes, as a Rorschach test, I can watch Blade Runner for myself in a very subjective way. So I guess that kind of just getting my thoughts out there from the beginning, I hear you. There was a time in my life where I felt very strongly that Deckard was not a replicant, and I was pissed off that people kept bringing it up. And uh, <laughs> over the, the past few years, really the past 10 years or so, I have softened on that question quite a bit because I've kind of enjoyed the what if conversation or enjoyed looking at it kind of differently. Um, and I, I think that I'm, I, but I love your passion, Ricardo, on this and I respect it. And I think that, um, you know, I don't hold back because it's a good, it's a good viewpoint to express. First question for you, Ricardo is objectively, do you not like the unicorn scene? And I know it was filmed in during production and they just didn't use it, but do you, do you feel like, do you not like it because to you it's being very heavy handed saying Deckard is a replicant. What is it about that scene? And as you answer that, then I'll go on to kind of get into my ideas about Deckard being a replicant or not. I think it's insidious. It, it's even worse. It's, it's, it makes me feel dirty, which is hey, here it is. See, there's a unicorn. And then this connects to the end of the movie. See, 
I, I just don't like that kind of subliminal. I can say if if you don't want to go like directly, which is my opinion, I, I think this was just made exactly to make a point. And the point is, listen, you dumbasses, if you don't get it, here's the, the unicorn scene. But uh, I think in the perspective, like Patrick was saying, and Patrick, th those are tremendous points that you just made. I think that trying to make it nuanced, it's even more infuriating. So yeah, I don't like the unicorn scene. I, I don't like the what the unicorn scene stands for. And then I don't like all the effort, the retrofitting that we have to do to try to fit that you know, into the larger narrative of the movie. I don't know if I answer your question, but you did. Now, from my perspective, as I remember seeing the unicorn scene when that new cut came out, the director's cut, I think it was in 92. And I remember feeling ambiguous about it. I really didn't know what they meant. And I also, as that relates to Deckard, I didn't know who Deckard was. And in terms of my viewing of the film, I don't know who he is. Or what he is. Is he human? Is he replicant? I don't know. I just don't. Now, I think as we've discussed before, there are things in the film that suggest he's a replicant for sure. There are there, whether it's the conversation with Bryant and Bryant kind of looking at him oddly the entire time, like, how is he going to take this? And the questions that Deckard asked, which if he had been a blade runner for that long he shouldn't even be asking and i went into this in the in our discussion why is deckard asking why these replicants are headed to tyrell why would that be a surprise to him because they only have a four-year lifespan well why why are you telling deckard they only have a four-year lifespan shouldn't he know that already why doesn't he know that why does a seasoned blade runner not know why these replicants have infiltrated the tyrell corporation and that they have a four-year lifespan and just some, there's a lot of bones there in that discussion that Deckard should just already know. But this is, it seems like a conversation with someone who knows something the other person doesn't, which is Bryant knows something that Deckard doesn't. And it's just entirely suspect to me. However, I can take all of that suspect and still not know what Deckard is. Um, at the same time, when we first see Deckard, he's reading a paper. He's waiting for his place in line at the noodle bar. That could have been his first experience at life. That could have been him planted as a Blade Runner. That There's the setup. He has his memories. He has everything. He's ready to go. He's about to embark. And then he's called back to duty, blah, 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 blah. Uh, that really works at the same time. Him being human really works as well. But I think for me... It doesn't matter what he is. It doesn't matter what he is because this is about how we learn to be better humans. And Deckard is our cipher for that. So whether Deckard is a replicant learning to be a human or a human learning to be a human, which is something that we all can do. How do we be more empathetic? How do we be more compassionate? How do we see humanity in people we were trained to not see any humanity in, which would be the replicants for Deckard? What is that like? And how do we, how do we, translate that into our own lives for me that is what these blade runner films are about and the whole universe how do we be better at who we are and so this i feel like getting bogged down and i don't think any of us are i mean certainly ricardo you have your 
your your opinion on who Deckard is, but I feel like getting bogged down in who Deckard is com- completely misses the point of the entire film. It's not about who he is. It's about who we are. How do we see ourselves in that? And so I have no stake in that. I have no stake in that, which I've said before on a couple of episodes and made some people really angry because they're like, how dare I not? I mean, and I've, I've never really related to Deckard. He seems more of an avatar for us. Um, because the question then comes back to us. Who are you, Patrick? Who are you? Are you your memories? Are you are you your compassion? Am I my am I my memories? What makes me me? And I think what makes me me is how I treat other people. And I think that's what Blade Runner is about. So in this specific instance, I have no dog in this fight. Decker can be whatever you want him to be. Patrick, how many dogs do you have in this fight? <laughs> uh, I'll tell you what, I got two dogs that are both barking right now downstairs. So I apologize oh. if you can hear that. <laughs> but no, I, I similarly, you know, before I hand it back over to you, Ricardo, to, to me, this is something where I don't have a, a very strong opinion. And I think that might be what's most infuriating of all, because I'm kind of listening to Jamie talk from what I'm assuming is, is Ricardo's perspective on this. And it's funny because it, I can hear how us being so casual with Deckard uh, could be really kind of frustrating for somebody who's not. So I, I guess, like, how, how, when we talk like this, what is what do you think about Ricardo? Well, uh, the the title of the episode is the pushback on the scenes, and and Jamie already opened up that conversation about the Brian scene, and I, I listened to the that episode very carefully because you got, exactly you guys were reacting to those stimuli that Deckard looks completely lost. But on the other hand, it makes no sense that Bryant needs to cajole him. And that is, I need your deck. I need the old Blade Runner. I need your magic. You just have to say, hey, skin job, do this, or I'll have Gaff there blow your brains out. So that cajoling, that trying to make him feel again motivated to come back to being a Blade Runner, it makes no sense. The other thing is that it doesn't make sense to get a washed up subpar specimen that is not strong, not fast, he's not even a good shot to deal with the ultimate killing machines that's just caused all kind of avoc off world. You know, if he's a replicant, he would be a K. He would be this pristine super cop replicant ready to go. And then one last pushback on that, and that is if he is a replicant, then what kind of model he is? It's a last generation Nexus 5 and or a Nexus 6, but a prototype before the Pris Batty Leon models, or then is it is a Nexus 6 like racial is with memories implanted and, and an open lifespan? I don't know. It's just again, it's too much energy to be trying to solve all these things to make Deckard being a replicant. So what do you guys think about those those points? That's why I love Blade Runner, because now I'm all excited to talk about this. So I think if you look at it like he's a Nexus model, right? If you look at it like he's a replicant, in my headcanon, which again, I want to be clear because we do get angry messages about this. My headcanon is not (laughs) that Deckard is a replicant at all. Like, I'm not saying that. But for the sake of having this conversation... It's fun to kind of think it through. So so in my personal interpretation of it, you can explain away some of the things you said if Deckard were to be an experimental Nexus 7 prototype similar to Rachel, which is then, you know, by extension, how they could have reproduced with one another. And that could have kind of led to that whole thing. And so maybe the idea then is he's really placed in the world in Medias Res sitting on the you know bar stool 
and that, like Jamie was saying, that's kind of where his experience begins, but he's treated like it's not because he's unaware of it, right? When you talk, when you see the Nexus sixes that, you know, come back from Mars in the film, they know that they have a limited lifespan. They know what they are. They're not confused about the existential questions the way that, um, you know, Rachel is, right? Who, who has no idea what she is. So if we look at it like Deckard is like Rachel and doesn't know what he actually is, I think they can explain away some of that stuff. And then so that way, when Bryant is treating him with kid gloves and Deckard looks completely bewildered, which he, re he really does. And that is something that you kind of have to reckon with because it's strange. Um, it could be Bryant kind of like trying to, you know, influence him to do what he wants, but in a subtle way that's not because he's not a Nexus five that will just obey every command that he has. And he's not a Nexus six who knows what it is. He's this new type of replicant that said you would think, and I agree with you, Ricardo, that they would build a more adept re replicant model to deal because he's 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 terrible. And this is one of those things also where it's hard to know because of the passage of time, like how much of that was intentional, because I kind of feel like he was marketed as really being like the best. So if you were there in the early 80s and you were watching this film in theaters, you were kind of watching him like he was the Terminator or something, you know, like he was this incredible, you know, force, although the Terminator wasn't quite out yet. But he's not right. He, he's actually like he like you said, he's a terrible shot. He's kind of slow. He drinks too much like he's he's washed up. So I think that lends credence to the to the idea that he's not a replicant. But I guess the reason I'm kind of working this point out is because if he is supposed to be a replicant, then we have to think, like, why would they be treating him differently? And that leads me to this idea that maybe he was an experiment and that he was an experiment in progress and that the experiment ended up turning on its creator and in so doing became that unicorn that was able to escape and kind of break the world, which is what, of course, Joshi goes on to talk about in 2049, because he does break the world along with Rachel. They're able to produce a child. So like there could have been something to that. I don't know what it would be, but who knows? Here's the pushback for you, though, Patrick, in that suggestion. If they're making a replicant that needs to pass as human, he can't be perfect. He can't be K. He can't be this killing machine that does everything right. Humans don't do things right. Humans aren't perfect. Being human is about making mistakes. So in order for people to believe he is, because if he's breaking through walls and doing all this crazy shit that love does or K does, people would be like, this is a replicant. This is some, something's up with him. Something's wrong. He has to be able to blend in. And in order for him to blend in, they have to give him a foundation, much like Stellene talks about. They have to make him believable. So they can't make him this perfect machine because that would then, in my opinion, mess up the experiment i don't know that's just where I, i'm coming at it i, I think if the, if he is a replicant if he really is and he is an experiment uh he's got to pass as human and you're not going to pass as human being someone like love or k i agree with that hang on just to interject for a second though why would he be that inept like wh why would they choose this particular instance where you have like 30 people that get killed on a, in a revolt on another planet and it's this like force of violence coming because baddie is so powerful and he has a whole posse with him and like they're you know they're very dangerous like why would you send like wouldn't you send like a task force to deal with that like what, that's that's what's also weird about this movie like why even if deckard were a nexus nine and were this like incredibly capable blade runner like wouldn't they send other people with him to to deal with this like why 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 is it almost like he's in an experiment like that's what's weird right like you have Gaff in the margins kind of watching and, you know, like seeing what's going on, but nobody's like helping him with anything. He's just like this one guy or, or a replicant, who knows, 
um, up against this like monstrously powerful force that is a huge concern for people because like they are now on world when they were not never supposed to be there in the first place. So like, why would they send that experimental prototype instead of something they knew would work really well? Because no matter what, it's still someone killing their own kind, which washes their hands of it. Like, Hey, we're, you know, we're not, this is, this is what these, these things are made for to take care of their own kind, to kill their own kind, whatever. And so, Deckard being inept. Also, he's been off the job for a while, so it kind of works that he's a little bit rusty. You know, I don't know. Again, yeah, but the, but you, but the Abadi kills Tyrell, and you know th that's a pretty high value target to protect, right? And and Batty would true. never have done that had he had a, an army chasing him. Like, he he would have been shut down, right? It's just yeah. a weird example of like throwing this this prototype out there. If if Deckard is, I don't know. But, yeah, I go again with the Oakham Razor principle. It just makes much more sense that he is human and he has a long story, a long experience, even if he looks bewildered. And I, I give you that during the movie in that scene in particular. But it makes sense that he has this capital of experience that he accumulated during 10, 15 years chasing around the Nexus 5. Now he gets to the point that Brian calls him in and say, hey, I really need you because this time is really bad. We have this bunch of motherfuckers running around and i need you because you are the best the other thing that i want to say on that and patrick and dear listener now we're pushing on all of each other now patrick is pushing <laughs> jamie jamie's pushing patrick and i'm pushing jamie jamie bryant doesn't have to go through this i don't see bryant as a character that would make that kind of effort to try to cajole a, a skin job he is clearly the equivalent of what would be a racist dealing with a black person so again just for simplicity it makes more sense that he's treating deckard as you know the the the, the human cop that he knows for so long although there's still it's still problematic even if deckard is a human he's being cajoled in a very strange way with information he shouldn't be told unless as we've supplemented before, Deckard's been away from the job so long that these new replicants are a completely new thing for him. And so he's explaining, oh no, you've been gone a while. This is a new, this is what these things are. That would make sense. If he's a human and he say he's been off the job for two years, which I think is right, right? A year or two? Um, I think it's one year. Is it one year? At any rate. So within that year, they've developed Nexus 6, and release them into off-world populations, and Deckard has no idea, which still is the strange thing because how would he not know about it in a year? I, so Tyrell has, are indeed this new replicant and then created them and put them off-world and all this stuff in the span of a year, and Deckard has no reason, has no idea, none. That's still a little bit strange to me, but... Yeah, Jamie, but he, he, Deckard does say that to Brian. He's like... I was quit when I left and I'm double quit now. So he probably just cut every connection he had with that world of Blade Runner yeah, hunting. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, going to my kind of interpretation of that, he's basically just been drinking himself into oblivion for a year in his apartment. And, and I think when you see his apartment, it looks like that. It looks like a place where an alcoholic would be, you know, hiding away from society and just dealing with problems. It's a mess, you know? Um, 
But that also begs the question, even if he is a human, which again, he probably is, right? Just for the record. We'll say he's a human. Why would they choose that human to do this job that is so important and urgent? That's what's weird. Like no matter what, no matter how you look at this, there is a severe miscalculation on the part of the LAPD. If the LAPD is really the ones pulling the strings on this, because like the, the, the amount of force and research that would need to be used to combat these new replicant models that have murdered many people off world. It just doesn't make sense. They would go to this washed up guy who clearly is kind of inept. So it, it's just, it's kind of paradoxical no matter how you look at it. There's no shortage of Blade Runners at the LAPD. We see that not only in the film, but also in expanded media. There's tons of Blade Runners who are really good. As even Gaff is in the movie, and there's another one. Like there are people who are working, who are active, who I'm assuming wouldn't need a new dossier to learn about a new Nexus model, who wouldn't need everything explained to them, who were just out there on the beat every day chasing replicants down. Um, and like and and yet they go to Deckard for this. It's almost intentional. It almost feels like they are setting him up for failure. And Patrick, that is olden. When when we first get into the Blade Runner universe, who do we meet? We meet this Blade Runner that he looks like he fits the part. Of course, he gets blown up by Leon, but at at least you can see that exactly. I I totally agree with your point, and it's a great point, which is at least he looks a little more apt <laughs> than Deckard. Yeah, he's much more confident. He he's running the VK in in a really kind of deliberate way. He just feels like he's he's like, and he's clearly a, currently a practicing Blade Runner. Like he's in the building, he's been you know working. So yeah, like why would they not just use? I mean, obviously they can't use Holden, but one of his contemporaries. You know, we're gonna take a break and be right back. We all remember that moment, the first time we heard a theme from our favorite movie. How it stayed with us, comforted us, stirring our imagination. Sublime Noise is our Patreon-exclusive film score review show. Starting at just $4 a month, you will gain access to Sublime Noise, as well as our warehouse of framerate episodes, where we discuss and review our favorite films. To sign up, go to www.perfectorganism.com forward slash support. If Deckard is a replicant, maybe there was something going on between Tyrell and the LAPD that they have, we're doing this thing and we're going to need your services eventually, but we're doing this experiment and we would need one of your replicant or your Blade Runners to come in and interview a replicant that we have in this grand experiment to see if it would lead to the procreation of a replicant and a human. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, because there is there are some there are things that don't really fully make sense that we have to rationalize. But again, what I love about sci-fi, what I love about about Blade Runner so much is this ambiguity and these questions, and that we're bringing into this conversation all of who we are in in reference to this film. So, and now allow me then to push back on the Tyrell scene, and again, makes no sense for him to be. Uh, a replicant because Tyrell surely would know unless we go into your theory Jamie which is this is all a setup this is all a scene is it's theater but when Deckard detects ra Rachel as a replicant Tyrell then has a new model that failed the void camp test he knows that Decker is going to report this to the police uh, 
there's now this brand new design, brand new project that is washed up because now the police will know that there's this new brand of uh, replicants that Voidcamp test can detect. And this is a ter- uh, this is a setback for the Tyrell Corporation. They want to build a product that is more human than human. And I don't think Tyrell would take this kind of risk with a replicant as an interviewer. If this is, as you say, Jamie, if this is theater, then Deckard is not allowed, and I'm making the uh, you know the rabbit ears uh, while we're doing the conversation. He will not be allowed to spread the news that Rachel is a replicant. Rachel is she supposed to be more human than human? And w- one last point on that one, which is Tyrell knows that is in trouble. And actually starts cajoling again Deckard, trying to make sympathetic to the experiment. It goes into, well, they're not emotionally experienced. They only have a few years to start up experience that you and I take for granted. So again, he's treating uh, Deckard as a human. is is like me, if Tyrell is a human. <laughs> but it only gets too complicated. And then uh, one last point on this, which is it also does make sense that Deckard is a replicant because you would not be able to apply the void cam test. In the movie, it is not explained as well as in the book, uh, but the person that applies the void cam test needs to know to the tenth of the second what is the empathy response to the person that the test is being applied to. Actually, in the book, he goes into, oh, my suitcase is made of 100% baby skin. And Rachel reacts to that, but it reacts too late. And he knows she is a replicant. If Deckard is a replicant himself, he's also slow in empathy. So the delays would be similar or even worse. He will be slower in delay because Rachel, she's a, a, a newer a version and with already the memories implanted. So that will give her some speed relating to Deckard if he's a replicant. And therefore, Deckard would see Rachel as a human because he could not keep up with her emotional response. Does this make sense, what I just said? It does. I have to say, you know, sometimes we have episodes where people call in and they're like, you know, I had to keep muting it because I had things to say and people will stop the episode and argue with us and then press play again. This is going to be one of those episodes that some people are going to take two hours to listen to because they're going to keep pausing it and then arguing and then I'm pausing it. Because as we're talking here, I'm thinking, and again, again, I'm not saying Deckard is a replicant. That is not my opinion. But for the sake of having this discussion, say that this actually is a setup. And it's not necessarily a setup to see if they'll procreate, although maybe that could be the end game. But say the setup is for a replicant who doesn't know it's a replicant to be able to detect another replicant who doesn't know that it is, that it is a replicant which to me feels like a more human than human idea, right? To be able to see if this replicant who has memories and has implants and has experience and does not know what he is can discern the same thing about another replicant. And if that would trigger like an empathy response, if that would trigger the blush response, and if they could empathize with each other, to me, when I look at Rachel, right, she is like the grand experiment in empathy for for replicants because that's kind of the whole point, right? Is that she's supposed to not know who she is and she was she's supposed to think that her life is kind of built on this experience that wasn't really hers. Um, and it was never supposed to be taken from her unless it was because that was the point. Because the point was to set Deckard up to figure that out 
and to be able to uniquely relate to Rachel on that level. The idea probably being to create a replicant who could pass as human for the first time, right? To me, that feels like, like when I think of Wallace, I think of somebody who's trying to create replicants who can procreate. Like that's clearly his thing. We know because of what we see in 2049 that that was something that Tyrell was working on as well and ultimately succeeded in if we look at Rachel as a successful experiment in that regard. Um, but I, to me, it feels like his real his real thrust philosophically was to basically have a, like an unpassable Turing test where you have two things that believe they are human and have nothing to contradict that when they talk to each other for the first time. And indeed, Rachel goes over 100 questions into this void comp test and Deckard is unable until way into this test to suss out what she really is. And so when you look at it like that, their whole meeting up in the Tyrell headquarters is like really uh, powerful because it's actually Deckard who's being tested. And that I think is cool. We look at the scene from the outside when watching the move. It, again, this is all I'm totally suppositional. I'm just kind of playing devil's advocate. But when we watch the movie for the first time, we are watching it from the perspective of this is a film noir. It's kind of a shaggy dog story. We are finding out, you know, if he can get figure out that this that this woman is is actually a replicant. When you watch it from that perspective, you've noticed things like Tyrell is very analytical with Deckard. Tyrell is really interested in Deckard's ability to figure this out. And you think of it the first time you see it like, oh, that's to see if Rachel could pass this test. But what if it really is to see if Deckard could pass the test? Like, What if actually Deckard is the reason that's happening? And we know that Deckard is sent there because the LAPD talks to Holden about it. So th there is these, these things going on in the background leading up to that moment where there's almost the sense of being in cahoots. And further, that could be Tyrell could be setting himself up to be murdered by his own creation knowingly. This could be something where Deckard was supposed to not be able to catch Batty because that was like the summation of everything that that you know Tyrell had tried for. That last part feels like bullshit, but I'm gonna keep it out there because it's fun to think about. I'll pose this. Say Rachel was alive in 2049. How would someone like Kay have done a test? She didn't have the um serial number on her eye, so he can't say look up and to the left and check for her serial number, that means Kay would have had, or someone like him, would have had to figure out, because Rachel at that point, until we find out that she's dead, Rachel was on the run with Deckard. She could have still been alive. What kind of test would he have done to find out if Rachel was a replicant? As, again, aside from, I mean, there's the Voight comp test. That's the only thing he could have done, right? So I don't know. This is supposition because we don't know. We don't even know. But if Kay would have found Rachel, how would he have determined whether or not Rachel was a replicant? Are there other replicants out there, possibly like Rachel, who are Nexus 6 with open-ended lifespans? It's possible, which means that Wallace and the LAPD would have had to work out how they're going to track these people down, these replicants down, which means possibly they're going to have to do a version of the Void Comp test, maybe an updated one that's similar to the... Um, uh, baseline test, something like that, something that's a little bit more automated and out of their hands. So it's not based off of, well, the replicant or the human asking the replicant questions. Uh, and I'm going to throw this out there too, um, in reference to Deckard and, and Rachel. And this is, this is of course a deleted scene, but Rachel says to Deckard, and I brought this up on an episode years ago, she says to Deckard, it's almost like we were made for one another. And I really, truly think that this was meant to be ambiguous. We're meant to question it. 
We're meant to question it like we're meant to question ourselves. And I think if we, not we as us three here, but I, I think the fixation on Deckard misses the plot completely. Um, I, I don't think it's about that at all. I don't think that Blade Runner whatsoever, in my viewing of it, many viewings of it, is about Deckard whatsoever. It's who who cares? Who cares? Not I. Yeah. And I'm not saying who cares. Like I, I love this conversation, but I think this is supplemental to a much larger narrative happening. Uh, that is because you're in love with Rachel. Come on, <laughs> just we know we know this from you. Yes, I am. Always will be. Uh, we should, I wanna, shall I'm, we move on after? I want no, 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 no. Uh, please let me stay here for a little, a little more because I want to uh, go into something that Patrick said that the, the box inside the box inside the box, which is okay. It's a replicant measuring a replicant that they think they're both human. Again, put this in the perspective of a major corporation like Tyrell Corporation. Either they want the Turing test to succeed, and they want to know that their product. It will be not noticed by humans with the void camp test. Or then, if it is a replicant trying to measure a replicant, then the replicant will never find out that the other is a replicant because that again defeats what the purpose of the moment is. The purpose of the moment is to test this new replicant and test it to see if he's more human than human. So the 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 only outcome that is favorable for Tyrell and for Tyrell Corporation is for Rachel to pass the tests. And to pass the test, then it makes more sense to have a human running the test than than a replicant. Because put yourself on Tyrell's shoes. Okay, I summoned a replicant here. I have all this set up in a way to have a replicant here to be on that magic moment where he, he's going to meet her and he's going to feel it, fall in love. All right, but I'll grant you that. The next human, the next olden that comes to Tyrell Corporation with the void camp test, it's going to detect her as a replicant. So, and we're just, again, running in circles, <laughs> trying to make Deckard a replicant. Much like Deckard is running in circles himself. And I, I think my final thought before we kind of move on to the next section is that I, I push back a little bit on Jamie in that, although to me, this isn't necessarily the most important narrative thrust of the film. And I'm not saying it is for, for Ricardo either. It is an important thing to consider because it makes us question other aspects of the film. And the act of questioning other aspects of the film makes the film speak to us on a subjective level in a much more personal way. That I think is a really beautiful thing that this movie does. And before we kind of move on, like, I, I guess, Ricardo, to ask you something, you know, Harrison Ford three or week, four weeks ago was being interviewed in Vanity Fair. And he said that Kurt is a replicant. And that pissed me off a lot because because to me, like, I, I've never agreed with that. But I also have always, for one thing, I look like an idiot because we've been talking on this podcast now for six years almost about how Harrison and Ridley disagree about it. And so now we kind of look like dopes. But at the same time, like it, he, the fact that he was being so flippant with it feels disrespectful. And I guess that's why I'm empathizing with you so much, Ricardo, with this, because I didn't think that I had a dog in the fight, like you said earlier, like to, to me, like that really didn't matter. But to hear him be so casual about it, it's like it it it's not that it matters what he is or what he isn't, but the seriousness with which we consider these kinds of questions with Blade Runner 
I don't know. Like I'm somebody who's very humorous as you both know, and especially Jamie knows, like I have no problem poking fun at everybody, including myself and at the things we talk about, but Blade Runner, Blade Runner is kind of in its own category a little bit because it's so special. You know what I mean? So I can see why, I can see why it bothers people for us to be so casual with conversations like this. And I felt a little echo of it when Harrison said that I was kind of like, Hey, don't make a joke about that. It's, it's important, you know? Uh, that's a great point, Patrick. I take no stock of that moment because I think, A, he's tired of it. And so for once he was like, yeah, whatever, I'm a replicant. Just leave me alone. And then the other one is it gets he's on a point on his career and on his life that he doesn't give a shit anymore. So he's like, yeah, I'll, I'll, let me throw this at the wall to see if if it, if it, if it sticks. So I, I, I think that exactly what you say was in jest. And I'm I'm sure he knew, and if he knew, he doesn't give a shit that he was going to cause all this kind of discomfort. But he was like, ah, I'm so tired of this. Like, so here it is. Yeah, he does not give a shit anymore. And I have to say, I, I, I in general, am loving this phase of Harrison Ford's interview career because it's absolutely hilarious. If anybody doesn't listen to Conan O'Brien's podcast, you really should. He did a full like two hour interview with Harrison Ford last week, and it's wonderfully illuminating. But it's also like I was laughing for the entire interview because he's he's just he just doesn't give a fuck anymore. <laughs> it's it's really wonderful to hear that. Last thing I'll say before I hand it over to Jamie to kind of bridge us along here. Um the Napoleon trailer of course came out and Jamie mm. and I haven't even actually talked about this yet. Uh I I for one am like extremely excited to see this film. And their horses, the way that the horses are shot feels exactly like the way that the unicorn sequence is shot in Blade Runner down to the color grading, the use of slow motion, the contrast on their deltoids as they're rearing back. I'm like, it just looks like I'm watching the unicorn scene in Blade Runner again or legend for that matter. And um, so I was just thinking before we even, you know, we're talking about doing this episode or preparing for it today. I was remembering this argument so much because it was like watching Ridley film the unicorn again. Um, And yeah, it's just, it's always there. It's always there. And we'll say, I, as we move on to the next, probably last part of this recording, this episode, if Blade Runner, if if it was determined, if if it, if there was certainty, this would not be an interesting conversation. We would just be supple. We'd be, we'd be, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? We'd be, we'd be giving out our opinions on something that's already fact. Like, well, what if this? But it's not. It's ambiguous. I think it's completely ambiguous. I think you can look at Blade Runner and uh, find things to confirm our bias or confirm our opinions, whatever that opinion might be. There are things in Blade Runner that we can use to confirm that Black, that Deckard is a replicant or that Deckard is human. And th- I would not want it any other way. So, Ricardo, we know that you have more points that, which, that you'd like to make uh, in regards to this discussion. I have like a, a ten sheets of it, but just for time, I would like to bring two in particular. Uh, one has to do with the end of the movie. I think if Deckard is a replicant, Gaff is on the apartment waiting to retire Rachel and retire Deckard because that would be the end of the job. Okay, Deckard went out to retire all the ones that come from Offworld, and now it's Gaff's job to retire them. And actually the unicorn scene makes total sense without the movie, sorry, the dream sequence, because it's the way to Gaff to explain to Deckard, you found a unicorn. And because of that, I'm not going to retire her 
and I'm not going to retire you if it's a, if it's a, a replicant, but it makes more sense to me thinking I'm here just to retire Rachel. That is my job. You did yours. Now it's my turn. I'm here to retire Rachel because I know you can do it. But hey, uh, you did a good job. You did a man's job, sir. So here's your award that I give to you. And I'll put a little unicorn so that you know that you found her. You found the unicorn. So I'm not going to retire her for that. And then my last point would be the uni the, the unicorns. And I know I keep getting back to the unicorn scene because it really makes my, my blood boil. But how, not sorry, not how. Why to implant a memory of a dream? So we know that replicants have memories that are implanted, but those are real things. This is my mother. See, here's the picture of my mother. This is the spider in the spider web. This is a memory of a dream that you have. And, you know, we know either a replicant or a human, you know how dreams are. They are very volatile. They're not... Uh, at all well-defined. We have memories of dreams that are completely, you know, we made them after uh, the, the dream itself. So again, those, they don't make sense to me. Unless, unless that's the point, because as we know, one of the, one of the, one of the main things that makes me feel like I'm a human is the dreams that I have in my, the ways that I try to make sense out of those dreams and the ways that I try to look for meaning in my life based on the things that I'm not consciously thinking about, right? Those other memories that you're talking about are frontal lobe memories, right? Like they are things that are specific. They are things that we kind of build our personality out of. They are things that inform our sense of self because they reinforce this narrative of where we come from. But a dream is not like that, right? A dream is the random processing of electrical inputs while we're asleep based on all of these things that we're unaware of that are informing our brain chemistry. In so doing, I think, giving us this beautifully human randomness that feels very anti-mechanical. It feels very much like like when I think of artificial intelligence or machine learning, which is something we've been talking about quite a lot lately, I think of things that can mimic being a human but lack the ability to dream. To me, like if you could build a replicant that had the capacity to have a nonsensical memory, that had the capacity to mm. have an extrasensory memory, to have the capacity to remember a dream, you would create, I think, the most convincing replicant of all that would that would be completely unaware of what it what it was again not saying that's what's happening but i'm just saying just to think just to think about it you know who because who knows here's what throws a wrench into this uh, that ricardo said that i something i haven't even thought about um in terms of this discussion you've done a man's job sir why the fuck would he say that to him because why would you say you've done a man's chicken. job no jamie i know i know the Deckard is a replicant. People love that line. But Gaff thinks he's a chicken. Okay. Gaff thinks is is a coward. Most of the times he's like putting those little things uh, that we know. So you did a man's job. Uh, I know that we're getting long to this. So I, I appreciate you guys, the patience you have to listen to me and to listen <laughs> to explain to my point. No, this is good. I'm just going to wrap it up this conversation with one last thing. And I, I promise will be very, very short. But love, my girlfriend, keep, keep reminding that, she broke my heart. She really did. Because 
in the second movie in 2049, after the racial scene, and after Wallace says, I have ways to make you speak off world, and they're on that limo that is going to the airport, Deckard asks Louv, where are we going? And she just says one single word, home. And I, I, ah, I felt like crying. <laughs> That's because of her. I think she's amazing. But the, I think when, when a lot of people say that Villeneuve didn't want to get too much into the controversy, I actually disagree. There's a couple of times where he does get into uh, the, that debate. So He absolutely I, does. And uh, the whole discussion between Wallace and Deckard, and Wallace is like, I'm paraphrasing, are you a mathematical thing or are you not? Like he, he throws that Decker rep question up in the film. And I feel like Wallace knows because he can see into Deckard with his eye things and things that she plays that love places in. Um, he has, he has knowledge of something that he's not telling us, but he's, he's, he's throwing that question out. What are you? And I think he knows, but we still don't. And I love that Denis, said, let's not answer this question because sci-fi is about answers. It's, or it's about questions. It's not about answers. Um, but Ricardo, you had a great idea for a future episode uh, along the lines. And as we wrap this, I would love for you to talk about what that is. Well, try not to get too nerdy here. but And this is for you, Jamie, because of your love for Rachel. There's a lot of research done mostly theoretical because we don't have the technology yet, but what it, what is called a duplication of the mind. If you can duplicate your mind, if you can download it to a computer or to a clone, if you can replicate your memories, your consciousness, your mental processes, like for example, uh, Patrick was just mentioning the fact that we have different functionings of the brain, but if you, if you could replicate all of that and then put it in some other vehicle, again, a clone or a computer, there is a moment that these two people are the same people. It's not you, could not possibly be you because you are separated for this one, this new one, this new you. But there is a moment that these two people are very equal. Then they start getting separated because life experiences then start making those two paths diverge. So, Jamie, this is for you. This is a special for Jamie. Could it be that Racial 2.0 is racial? And could it be that Deckard made a terrible mistake? For two reasons. First of all, because she could be Rachel. She could be that what I just said. She's just brand new. She was just born and she has all the memories of Rachel. And actually, you can see that on the scene, the way that she talks to him. Don't you love me? Don't you miss me? And then the second thing is that what does he doesn't have to give to Wallace? He doesn't know anything about his daughter. He has no way of contributing for Wallace to find Staline. So maybe he made a terrible, maybe, maybe a terrible, terrible choice. That is an interesting idea. And I would love to talk about that and give you my supposition for that but i will wait until we record that episode because i have a lot of thoughts behind that and patrick fucking hates rachel 2.0 <laughs> unless uh, yeah i i already have thoughts on that too i think that sounds like a lot of fun so let's do that soon that sounds really good it could be 
that Wallace was setting Deckard up to get the wrong answer the whole time because in so doing, I'm just kidding. I have to think about that one. Yeah. Yeah. There's this, so many, this is a fun thing to think about that whole scene itself. I, what I think we need to do honestly, and hopefully Ricardo, you'd be willing is to have a anatomy of a scene. We can talk about this scene. And then the second half of that, we can extrapolate from this scene because I think that there's a lot going on there. It's, it's probably one of the most intense scenes in the film. Honestly. Yeah. Oh, oh, the way that Rachel starts walking from the stairs to the water, uh, to the water mirrors. I almost died in the movie theater. I I, I, my, I thought my brain was going to explode. Yeah, so, I yeah, I couldn't breathe. We've talked about that. It was so intense. Yeah. So if you guys want to have me for that anatomy of the scene, I'm more than happy to join you, gentlemen. I would love that. Great. Thank you. We'll look forward to it. Thank you well, so thank much, you, Ricardo, for coming back. Yes, thank you, Ricardo. Thank everyone so much for listening, for your patience, uh, and we will be back with more Shoulder of Orion. If you would like to find out more about Shoulder of Orion, the Blade Runner podcast, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com If you would like to support the show via Patreon, please go to www.bladerunnerpodcast.com forward slash support. Thank you.